everybody. I'm Sarita Chaparral, and I am not your mother's realtor, and this is my podcast where we talk about more than just real estate, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, client, and colleague, Megan Osberger. Hello, everyone. Get ready. We're getting personal. Yeah. We're diving into personal financial baggage. Yeah. I hope you're ready. And today, I mean, I know we've talked a lot intimately on this show, but today this is going to be, I think this one's actually a harder episode for me because... One, I've got to come clean about some things. I'm going to oh, need man. Know. <laughs> This is her confession. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, yeah. I think, you know, I, I want to talk honestly. Uh, you know, everybody knows I'm an open book when it comes to my feelings and what I'm going through. So this, this is not going to be any different. But we're going to be talking about the mindset of money and how that affects your decisions on financing. So oftentimes on these episodes, you know, we do get personal about like kind of our insights and perspectives of things. But I have to say this also and how I feel and my thoughts on money affected me when I was purchasing my car. So it equates to, you know, not only what you purchase in real estate, but even sometimes your trips to Target. There's there's a shift in the mentality on all of these things. Yeah, I think that's true. And we're kind of asking all of you to get personal, too. Think about, like, do some self-reflection because we both have. And it's like, oh, maybe I'm not quite where I thought I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... I guess over the last like two weeks, some things, or I'm looking at October, right? We're at the end of the year here. Um, my birthday's in like a week and a half or so. <laughs> 38, here I come. Um, so I'm at this point now where one of my major goals last year, the year before, and this year has been to purchase a multi-unit. And the hardest thing that I'm having to overcome is I obviously have a business. I've now got employees, I'm growing my business, and I'm using my money to grow my business, right? So this is, you know, one of these rare business models of like, well, yeah, could I go get a small business loan? Probably. But most of the time, how realtors organically grow their businesses, they do put their own money into it, and they take a part of what they get in their commission, put it into marketing, put it into their assistance, and all kinds of other breakdowns. So um, as I've made more, I've spent a lot more. And this was eye-opening for me over the last two weeks as I started to evaluate the end of the year and, you know, just really think about my goals and how I can hit them going into what we've got left of the year. Right. And it's it's also really important to think about, I, I think it's also, we're coming, because we're coming mm-hmm. up, it's like, it's the last quarter of the year, you're right. thinking about everything and thinking mm-hmm. like... Is this the way to make more money? Right. Yeah. And the hardest part for me is I'm also coming into a slower season. So typically, this is what I call my deal time of the year. I love it when buyers go out and they write offers on properties. Um, and you know, you're looking at trying to get into a property before winter hits. And sellers typically for multi units like that because you know that's usually when you have more issues. Um, you might have tenants that leave. Uh, Holidays can be tight on tenants paying rent. And so it's, it's usually a good time of the year to get a deal. I call it my deal season for yeah. a reason. Um, but last year, you know, I had such a, the market was totally yeah. different. I mean, everyone I mean, was crazy. I know. I can't, I can't really, you know, the caveat to everything I'm saying is last year was just absolutely bonkers. Um, but as I analyze, okay, I'm at this point now where I'm also, you know, I've made mold, I've made a lot of offers on properties, um, and I've been beaten by 
all multiple offer situations. One of them, the the I was over the listing price of the property. I was putting more down to than I wanted to. The property still needed $150,000 worth of updating. Right. So that was also a fun little like, okay, well, how do I you know figure that out and pay for that? Um, and then on top of that, it sold for 36000 above listing price. Right. So, I mean, a lot of this has just been out of my hands. I give it to God. I give it to the universe. And I thank my guardian angel sometimes when I don't you know get that yeah. property because you just don't know to what could have spiraled it. Um, but... How does this equate to my own clients? Well, this is the, you have to analyze why am I making the decisions the way I am? Now, first of all, what I got to come clean with is, hey, at the end of the day, after looking at properties and helping people and responding to emails and international buyers, I'm not looking online for fun to buy myself a property. Right. I am, when it comes to the business of Sarita buying a property, a lazy piece of shit about like, I'm done. At the end of the day, I'm done. I don't want to do that. I will I will go play kickball. Yeah. I will like jump in the lake. I would do like anything else. Except well, you aren't that. like me who like lays in bed. And no, yeah, yeah. All the photos of the boy. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh. You know, I mean, I, we've probably all seen the SNL sketch. Oh, yeah. It was like, classic. this is a big, dumb mansion <laughs> that I can't afford. Right. But I would never live in it. It's I like, have exactly. it all if I want to live in Topeka. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no offense, Topeka. Yeah, no, yeah we love I'm sure you're lovely. Um, but yeah, I think that's, a, that's hard. Yeah, no, and it's, I think that that's a big part of this for myself, right? So I have to. I have to give myself some grace, right? I have to be forgiving. I'm like, okay, I can't do real estate 24-7, even though I pretty much do for other people. Okay, so we're forgiving, right? We, we do that. But the other end of this is, and this is also kind of the embarrassing part, I'm an earner. I make really good money. Um, the commission checks, the things that I do make are pretty substantial, but in between it can be a lot of nothing. Right. Um, so you always have to have like your forecast and savings. And we'll talk about that later about how we kind of overcome this. Um, but for me in particularly, as I added to people onto my team and want to make sure that we have payouts, um, my, my focus was that rat race focus. I was focusing on earning, spending, spending more, earning, getting more commissions, spending those that. And like, it was just kind of a domino effect that spiraled into, okay, well now I don't have an investment property, but I'm really happy with my spending pattern. I really am. Yeah. I'm glad to have you guys on. I'm glad to have, you know, the podcast. We've got a lot going on Instagram. But then buying something is a bigger risk. Right. Yeah. Because then I have to think about, okay, well then, yeah, I do need to earn more than to make all of my spending habits and all the things that I like for my business, you know, feel good. But at the same time, like, how do I, how do I t- start taking a step back and focusing and on this? remembering the difference between making money and creating wealth? Right, right. Yeah. And that's huge. Right. So if we take a further step back of like why, you know, this is why we're talking about this in the episode, going back further, we, you and I have talked a lot about the how money was introduced to us when we were yeah. we were kids and because that really i mean at 37 about to be 38 this is that was the like eye-opening conversation of like okay a lot of my spending habits and who i am really started out young i want to hear from you first because i've been talking for like five minutes right <laughs> um 
I want to hear a little bit about your mindset too, because um, you've got like kind of a different background with your dad. And yeah, my dad is a financial planner, and so <clears throat> we have had like saving. Now he's still like real into index funds and everything. So okay, yeah. So yeah, so he's still which is yeah. for me. I am a little bit risk averse. I I. I have had an upbringing where my family has been able to weather, like, a year without a job, fine. Because mm-hmm. we've lived below our means. But now, do I always live up to that? No, I don't. But I, I'm not, like, a crazy spender, and I buy a lot of my clothes at Aldi. Hey, tip, pro tip. Aldi undies, A+. Oh, but I also, <laughs> when, you know, when you're saying this, I was actually had a flashback to, was it two years ago, when you were trying to find Myra Barbie dolls? And so you repurposed all these Barbie dolls because oh, yeah. you didn't want to buy her a new one because she's like a kid and what's she doesn't real, care. Right? Yeah. Exactly. She doesn't care or whatever. Yeah. Although <laughs> for her birthday this year, I got her a brand new Barbie. She loves it she, way more than she, the ones I made because <laughs> it's a little less creepy. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, there's a reason some things you buy now, it turns out. Yeah, but, no, yeah. I think she told she could tell the difference between like yeah. the homemade Barbies and the one that came She's from the box. Like, this one's hair isn't kind of weirdly crunchy. Um, <laughs> don't worry about it, everyone. But yeah, yeah I, I think that speaks to how like thrifty and frugal you are with these things. Yeah, um, I, I can be kind of cheap, but but, but we do nice things still, yes, and we do. and it was a big deal. Like my dad. I'm not actually sure how involved he was in making this happen for our school, but we had like a credit union come to our school. And so my (laughs) bank account number literally for years, now I don't think there because it's not in my city, but was like a two digit number. I was like with, or maybe three, I was in the first 1000 of the people who were in the credit union Yeah, as like a kid. And so we, they'd come once a month and we could deposit our money and that was a big deal. And like, People would talk about their birthday money, and I'm like, what is that? Yeah. Uh, ours was just put in the bank. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, it yeah. wasn't something... we And we had to spend... Like, we had to save. I had to save if I wanted to go to summer camp for two weeks. I had to earn one of the weeks. Mm-hmm. Like, they weren't just going to send me. So, saving has always been part of it. And then... And it, it wasn't fear-based. But then yeah. I've gotten some fear-based... Um, motivation too like my school brought in these people to tell us to take out student loans for college thanks and um, and not to take out credit card debt and they had this like terrifying video that basically said if you end up with debt you're going to commit suicide like I'm not exaggerating mm-hmm. it was a really scary video and I have been afraid I of my credit cards we didn't have that in our school that, Ever like, since. that terrifies me right yeah, yeah. And, and these were like different schools so so you still like your you, credit cards for you for a long are time still really scary yeah. I remember yeah. the first time I carried a balance on my credit card was when I lived in France and I literally didn't have money I like should have I mean we made so little more than more than two-thirds of it went to my rent. And then I had to get by on, like, 200 euro for a whole month. Yeah. And I would faint sometimes from, like, not eating. So, <laughs> But I still had me food. So, okay. Maybe some of this is personal. <laughs> Everything my dad tells me I don't do. <laughs> but 
that's I, I would say like I came at this from a really different perspective. Yeah, yeah. So and for me, we didn't have I didn't have uh, that type of money um, education as a kid. And part of this was is like we had bigger issues in my in my family. I had a very toxic family. Um, I have a very toxic family, and on top of all of that and the toxicity, I was dyslexic. And so the big goal was let's just get her to read, yeah. right? And so, um, and I remember too when I, you know, they they come, they do the. I know we didn't talk about this offline. I'm sure this is like a story that might get cut, but basically what happens is when you're dyslexic, you you do the dyslexia testing. They do also an IQ test. They see the discrepancy between your IQ and then where you're testing at, and you know that there's obviously some type of something that's that's not quite right. Um, and so I had a, a higher than average IQ, and then I was reading at like a first grade reading level in the first, in the fourth grade. A lot of it was just acting and memorizing words, but I didn't know at the time that I really didn't know the phonics or mm-hmm. like how to break down the language. So for my family, the goal was never like, okay, we're going to teach you how to do these things. My great grandparents, you know, had saved, um, you know, we'd given, we've been given like kind of Christmas checks every year, but nobody was teaching us how to like save these things. Cause I think the goal was, is like, okay, let's just get this kid, you know, up to speed on the reading stuff. Um, which was actually, you know, better too, because I went to school for opera and music theater under full scholarship. So it was just the weird, it was a different path because with that path too, especially being like, quote unquote, a starving artist. Um, I always thought I was going to be poor. I always thought like, you know, through college, you know, I thought that there was like a one in a million chance I'd make money at art. And I was okay with, I was not going to make a lot of money. Even when I was doing improv and stand up, living paycheck to paycheck, completely broke, that that was how it was supposed to be. Well, and that's how it was with your friends. Right. Right. So I was living in, you know, I was a part of a community where that's the mindset. I was coming from a family that was just glad that I wasn't like, you know, that you made a paycheck. I made a paycheck and I went to college. Mm -hmm. I think that they were just like thrilled that like, like being on a full scholarship to a prestigious school was like, they didn't, I don't think they really cared with what I've done with my life afterwards. Cause like for them, that was all right. Yeah. That one's good. She's gone. Bye. See ya. Um, so I think that that was a lot of, you know, that kind of mindset was, is they weren't teaching how to create wealth and build wealth. Although I think they were, but everything that I heard as a child, when it came to money was stress it was worry. It was anxiety. It was, we can't afford this. We can't do that. We, how do we pay for something? We're not vacationing. We didn't vacation when I was a kid. We drove to state parks, but we were not like going, you know, outside of Texas, which also was like usually five hours to get outside of Houston anyways, but they're not taking three kids on the road, um, to do a vacation of any sort. Like that was not happening. Yeah. So when you hear those things, you see other families are vacationing. Other families are going to Disney. We never went to Disney. Um, all of those things, you have a poor person mindset because they're not saying, oh, you, we can't afford something because of whatever, um, because maybe we're paying for other things or we're saving for other things. Or, or like maybe or those other people can't actually afford what they're doing. Exactly. That's actually what my parents I know. always yeah. said. They yeah. always said, yeah, they might be doing that, but that doesn't mean they can afford it. Right. Which, well... You, First of all, you don't know either way. You don't know either And one. I always rolled my eyes, but now I'm like, oh. Yeah, maybe. That's actually Yeah, maybe that is just like a lot of credit card debt did. and bad spending and all of that. But right. At the time, all I hear is that we don't have, we can't have, we're, it's the, the money and the, like, how you spend is not 
positive to the point that like I remember like going and I kind of had mentioned this to you too like we'd go to Target and like it would be or wherever we were buying food and you, we would buy food for the week, and I remember my sister wanted some, like, really expensive, like, snack, like a hostess snack or something, mm. and I was like, we can't afford that. I'm, I was a kid, and I'm giving my sister, like, pushback on, like, what we can afford when I have no idea. Right. Like, but that was the mindset that it started, that, like, okay, we're poor, we're, you know, it's not that we can't spend different things, it's that we just can't afford it. Right. So, that stuck with me for a really long time. Um... And uh, we actually, we have to take a break, but I do, we're going to come back to this. I want to talk about like overcoming the the spending of fear um, for for both of us. But I also want to hear a little bit more about the savings account to story from when you purchased. Because I think that's really important for any of our buyers that are out there or anybody too. That's also like for me, when I was looking to buy a car, all of this stuff related to. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Thank you. Hi everyone, we're back, and I'm going to jump right in and tell you about how this has affected me as an adult. Now, this story, I don't know if my dad is listening, but please don't disown me, because this is going to, this is kind of embarrassing, but I said, I don't have a, like, it wasn't a lot of fear-based motivation to save in my family, which was good, but personally, the idea of... You know, like I said, in France, I didn't have any money. It wasn't like I couldn't have asked my parents and let them know, like, oh, I'm, like, don't have any money. At one point, this is a different story, but it turned out I was, like, eating a packet of hollandaise sauce that I thought was soup. (laughs) It was pretty gross. (laughs) I, like, made it. It was instructions in French. Anyway... (laughs) You guys, I did not know how to cook, and that's kind of important to the story. But, like, I have all sorts of weird stories like that from France where I was truly 100% on my own. Like, I called them once a week. There were literally, like, cats that would jump into my, like, stray cats would jump oh, into my apartment. Oh, so this guy, like, you were just talking about eating something? No, I didn't eat cats. cats. I was like, no. But I just France? mean there were all these weird things that happened. <laughs> yeah, Kayla's really afraid. There were all these weird things that would happen because I didn't have any money. Like, I had this really weird apartment that didn't have windows just skylights so I could not ever see I, I it was always raining so I knew what the weather was but it was oh, just wow. like my parents definitely didn't understand how bad it was and then my mom came at the very end mm-hmm. and then was like I'm gonna buy your ticket home <laughs> I think she knew mm-hmm. I was like uh-oh this isn't good mm-hmm. I can't afford to fly home and I think I'm gonna have to put it on my credit card and I think I just covered how I felt about mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. so the whole point of this is to say, I care a lot about not asking people for help and of making sure, like, I'm really fortified, mm-hmm. but that's not always good, actually. Yeah. Like, that can be a hindrance, and it can really prevent you from reaching some of your goals. My husband and I bought a, a house, and we really wanted a yard for our daughter after COVID, mm-hmm. And Sarita knows this because she was our agent that two days after we made our offer and got it accepted, which we were pumped about, I called her up at, I think, 7.30 a.m. Sorry. And I said, Sarita, I think we're going to back out of this deal. Like, how much money does that mean we're losing? What do do we do? And she's like, okay, let's talk about this. And (laughs) sorry, I like how your impression of me was so calm. (laughs) You weren't really calm in the moment because I was not. 
Oh, yeah. You had to be calm. Yeah. You know, honestly, too, I'm actually kind of amazed sometimes at where I can, like, help. If it's for someone else. Yeah, but I think. Yeah, it's different than for yourself. Look, okay, we do talk a lot about non-buying stuff, but I'm going to talk about buying for a second. Every buyer, every buyer in a deal has at least one good meltdown. Yeah. That is, it's just a part of the process because when you start to, you know, talk about the risk and all of these things, it just, it'll make you spin. So wait, let them know how you spun out. I want, I want well, you to, so to give them the, give them the We deeds. were just looking and trying to figure out like what's the difference going to be now and, you know, just regular budget talk. And then all of a sudden I was like, that means we're going to need to spend some of our savings to do this. <laughs> or spend your savings. Yeah. To do but, which is also like. Duh. Of course. Of course we are. Yeah. Um, But I didn't realize that. And I was like, well, I don't know. My husband said, isn't this what our savings is for? And I said, I don't know what my savings are for. I just know I'm supposed to have them in the bank. Mm -hmm. And then I was Googling, what are... What are our savings for? You know, like what? Why do we save all this money? And that's what I'm so embarrassed because my dad. Well, but I think too, when you're beaten, or not necessarily. Like you were just constantly educated, constantly told these things. You get the lesson, but you don't understand sometimes, like how that carries out. Well, and it is. It's like it. It can be like a security blanket sometimes. Yeah. Like we aren't always investing the way we should because it's comforting to know we have this money if we need right. it. Right. And that is that's, tough. that's really hard. So and that kind of like so that was why you you know, with you and your single family home purchase and for me it's hard to look at what I've established and my business and also too like I've got like a really nice place right now. Right. Uh, I've got a nice car, just took a trip to Italy. I'm very comfortable with my savings. Um, and granted, okay, I want to say some things about how I've spent. One, my old car was 11 years old. It had been, and it was cursed. We don't have to defend ourselves. It was ourselves. cursed. No, I, okay. want, I want people to know because I am thrifty as fuck. And I drove that thing into the ground. And by the time it rolled into the BMW yeah. dealership, they were like, we're going to give you 5000 for this. Your sweet, sweet husband was like, I can't believe they gave me 5000 <laughs> for that. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I think that was just trying to make the deal on the other car. Um, but on top of that, you know, like we hadn't traveled in two years and I'd always wanted to go to Italy, blah, blah, blah. I did a lot of things that felt good for me emotionally, but I also don't overspend. And I will say this too, even after I bought the car and it feels good to drive because I am in my car all of the time, immediately after I had it, I was like, oh damn, now I kind of want a Porsche. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's the thing. I, and that's that rat race you that constant chasing careful. of like, okay, well, I've got this. It felt good for a few seconds. Now what? Well, and that's so, really, and like buying our house isn't creating wealth. It is our home. Like I feel very good about this purchase, but it's not an investment the way like you buying a multi-unit will be. Right. And that's hopefully okay, but it is a difference like... When you're trying to think about how do you invest, how do you make good decisions with your money, it's really important to remember the difference between what purchases might be, even if it's the exact same amount of money. Right. They might end up being really right. different. And so for us, when we're spending money on our house, like hopefully we'll get it back if we like ROI on a sale later. If 
we're never going to sell this house. My husband wants to die here. But theoretically, yeah. that's where we would see that back. But um, for you, it's a completely different. Right. So it's yeah, it's about how to overcome that fear, too. So I've made all these lifestyle changes. I'm 37. Is it possible for me? And I was out with a buyer this weekend, and we were talking a lot about this. They were also about the same age. I think one of them was a little bit older than me. You are at a lifestyle point where... I am, I'm, God bless you. I can't live in a garden unit right now, especially with our podcast and all the recording Keela comes over to do and on Instagram and everything. If somebody's walking above me, like we just kind of heard our neighbor next door talk or their their dog was yapping for a second, that kind of stuff jolts me because I'm like, oh no, did it ruin the recording? Do we have to do this again? Is it like, and I only have a certain amount of time for this. I can't live in a garden. I can't take those risks on these things, but for house hacking, that's the best point of the numbers. So I've got to find something where the lifestyle makes sense for me now to to shift to and this has now happened just a couple of times this year you know with all the properties that are on the market i found only a few deals where i can live in the top floor uh that particular rent is coming up the timeline for the financing works out like it's all of those things without suffocating the lifestyle right um, that i want but okay so ultimately for me for you buying a car, buying a multi-unit, buying a whatever. It is about how to analyze the fear in a lot of ways um, without having fatigue over your decision. Now, the biggest ways to get through this, oh wait, maybe before I do this, how are we on time on this particular? Almost 15. 15? Okay, cool. So I think we got some time to talk about this in depth without having to to change things over and take a break. Um, So the big thing is gonna be about oh you know what we want to I want actually want to talk about this buyer for a second just honing on I like the, the the rich dad poor dad first chapter where he's like beaten over the yeah. topic but I will say the mindset of the buyer that I took out this week um, going to see properties for the first time especially since they're older we're talking about lifestyle and we're talking about financing um, one of the buyers was a little bit more an advocate for the deal because they understood that like what they were purchasing was going to create wealth. Whereas the other buyer saw everything as a risk. Everything was going to be hemorrhaging money. There was no money coming back into the property through rents or appreciation or, you know, or they didn't equity. see, you're saying they didn't see yeah, that. They didn't, they didn't, they couldn't visualize it because it, it, the they whole point there. was, that it would, right? Yeah, that you're going would, to right. Okay. That, that it would. Just it was going to sure. create all of these things. It was going to do all of these things, but it's not going to be one of these things that um, perpetuates immediately for a lot of people that are looking to house hack. So we, I have the hard conversations when you first go out about these things, about lifestyle, like I mentioned with my recording stuff like that. Um, so that they can kind of make sure that this is something that's really for them because I don't want to force feed investing down somebody's throat. Right. So even if it, th- if, if it feels that way today. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. Um, but a little bit of like kind of uh, talking about a previous episode that we had where you're moving in with somebody yeah. about that mindset. Yeah. It's really important to be on the same page. Right. And so, and sometimes it just, takes yeah it doesn't mean you immediately start there yeah just because you both start a book at the you know page one doesn't mean somebody's going to be a fast reader or not like you're going to be at different points of this in the process so you know i would definitely if you haven't listened to that episode listen to the episode because i think it'll give you a lot of hints on how to help somebody along that maybe isn't doesn't have the buy-in on whatever it is you're looking for right um all right well so so it's all about risk then it's about mitigating Mm -hmm. the risk Mm -hmm. or accepting it 
depending on what it is. So the first real thing you can do is establish your budget, including your emergency fund. Mm -hmm. So you have some reserves. You aren't totally taking off your life vest and throwing it into some multi-unit and saying, oh, well, hopefully this works out. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) You know, it's you're still going to be okay. You have you have your backup plan. Right. So, so all of your money should not be your down payment. Right. A lot of times when I talk with buyers and when I was even purchasing a car, um, and I keep pointing to Megan at that because Ben was so helpful. I think I was in the process for like a year of like, okay, I know this car is going to die soon. I got to start thinking yeah. about these things, getting educated. And that's what buyers have to do for multi-units. You know, I was a year away from buying that car. I'm, you know, do this all day, every day with the multi-unit stuff, but it takes buyers some time to put together all these themes and understand them and educate themselves on it. So the first thing I ask them is, is like, okay, well, what's your all-in budget for the purchase? And then they might tell me, let's just say for a fund number, it's $100,000. They say, well, we've got $100,000. And I ask, does that include savings? Does that include like an emergency fund? What is, like, is this $100,000, like, every penny you have in your bank account? And then we kind of work back from there. So if it is all the money they have, then we talk about the savings. And we talk about what the actual budget is because it's not $100,000. It's not going to be $100,000. And my, as a realtor and as a person and uh, just a human being, uh, I am not going to make somebody house poor. So if I can see that, like, hey, these people are, um, or if these people are going to purchase something that's maybe going to put them at a point that they're house poor or they don't have an emergency fund, then I have to educate them on that because, and I'm not sure every realtor would, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I think it's just the right thing to do. Um, we do have to take a quick break. Um, and when we come back, we're going to talk about that more about the emergency saving fund and also how to get through the mindset and, uh, helping to make a better decision on all these things. Wait, so how long is this episode going to be? Okay, so we are back and we were just talking a little bit about being house poor and not overextending um, to purchase a property or a car or any kind of major purchase that you're thinking about. Um, and the big thing, the term that I just used was house poor. And that's right. like kind of a catchy term that people use. And basically it just means that you're putting all of your money and your savings into a home and then you can't have the lifestyle you want. You can't go out because you can't afford bars. You can't afford anything. Right. So the first conversations I have with people are not only about their budget and their savings, but what is their lifestyle like? How does it continue to grow? Like we were talking a little bit about like the garden unit and me possibly living in it. It's not for everybody right now, you know? Right. So to have those realistic conversations um, to help create the resources that you need so that when you're making the decisions to spend effectively, but also that you have the accounts you need to purchase. And that you're being realistic. Yes. So it's all fine and dandy. We've all done it. We're like, oh, I can go on a budget where I only spend a hundred dollars out at restaurants for a month. Like 
first of all, n- one note. I personally <laughs> can't because I have like, no self-control. But I remember I would make these like totally unrealistic budgets yeah. and then I'd feel bad about myself. And it's like... Yeah, because they've set these standards yeah. and these goals that are not actually realistic. Right. And so yeah. when you've done that and then bought a house or a multi-unit and you have this mortgage that's going to force that, that will feel really bad. Yeah. So the first step then is just making sure you are being realistic about what you spend. Mm-hmm. You need to know. And sure, it's fine to say, I need to cut back on my Amazon buying or whatever, but you still need to be realistic about if you're going to do that. Yeah. Because yeah, because if you're not, you're just going to go and you purchase property and something else happens with it, then you're just right. So having your six months of savings. So that's what, and okay, let's break down then the, how the savings account should work. So you have your savings that you would purchase a property with, then you have like basically an emergency fund. Yeah, um, which is the six months of living expense, uh, like all of your right. Life. So if you lose your me, job, right? Or, for me, if I don't have commissions for six months, I'm paying you, I'm paying Kayla, and all of my personal bills on top of that, right? As, as well, and then um, you also need like a rainy day fund, and I think for. For a lot of people that are purchasing property specifically, you don't need this for a car and you probably need this if you're going to maybe plan a vacation that is probably costly. You're going to do things that are outside of the budget. Or, or like an expense if your car breaks and you need to take it to the mechanic. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. That's the kind of thing like you want to just have a little bit extra, but yeah, it doesn't I need to be, yeah. doesn't need to be like huge. Yeah. As my car caught on fire after I bought it. So there was that too. Serena's car did catch on fire. My car did catch on fire. So that was um, a fun story. I, I guess since I brought it up, I should just tell you I'm fine. And I have all my hair. Yeah. Um, this is not a visual medium, yeah, I guess. This, but this she's not, fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Um, this is not a wig. Uh, but basically my car, like the like the ga- or the uh, cap fell off of the oil and it was just kind of spewing. And it wasn't on fire, although I'd love to say that it was the drama smoking. of it. It was smoking. And they were afraid you wouldn't make it. No. Yeah. yeah. So, not... It was seven minutes from the BMW dealership. So that my car broke down and I was like okay seven minutes away I can just probably just like cool it down like just like blow it a little bit because it was going to take the tow truck an hour and a half and it was also a hundred degrees there was no way I was it wasn't a great day it wasn't a great day I also we had had recordings earlier that day I was in full drag and sweating beads of makeup (laughs) off of me so I called the dealership and I'm like, hey, my car like did this thing. It's like smoking and on fire, I guess. And uh, I think I'm going to just like wait it out and drive it in. And the ma'am goes, um, Sarita, neither myself nor the dealership can recommend that you drive that car under any situation or circumstances. And I got into the dealership. I did because, you know, I just got the tenacity of a thousand guardian angels. Got into the dealership and they were like you drove it in here? And I was like, yeah, I just like took it real slow. It took me like 30 minutes. And then like, right as I was rounding the corner, the tow truck was like, Hey, we're going to be there in 30 or something. And I was like, Oh, I'm already here. And they're like, thank God you're alive. Um, but you do need money for things like that. Luckily my car is under warranty and it wasn't my fault and blah, blah, blah. But you do need a rainy day fund. Yeah. If you have this stuff, that should be enough of a life jacket. Really? Yeah. So to to not to not that that means you should just piss away all your right. money, but that you can make if you have this stuff, then you can say, I am in a position to spend this other amount of money and have a, say it confidently and know 
then sure, you still need to figure out what's the right deal, what's the right purchase, right, and make sure those numbers work. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. Right. And on a side note to all of this, if you are buying a multi-unit, the emergency, the rainy day funds, they shift dramatically. So if you're not thinking about that from with an investor-friendly agent, that's something you really want to think about on your own because... Um, that analyzing of a property is going to make or break than how much you're able to put into it. And right. that shifts all the numbers. And Meaning, so, does it need a new roof? Are right. you going to Where's just need to make sure you have something so that if somebody's washer breaks, Vacancies. you can fix it? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. And then the other thing that we want to kind of like leave you with a little bit. So financial education is, is hard for um, a lot of people because... Look, like we talked about, our backgrounds are totally different when it came to financial education. I had like none. You had a little bit, maybe some scare tactics in there. You know, it's it kind of colored in a lot of different directions. In order to grow as a person, sometimes you have to start tackling things that are not out of your comfort zone. Uh, For instance, I'm an opera singer that now teaches about financial education and does all of these things that like I didn't have growing up, but it was only because I rolled up my sleeves. I found, you know, a pathway in life that I really liked. And like every day I was asking questions and trying to figure these things out and piecemealing it together. And how I kind of think about this and we post about this all the time on Instagram, which is like the learn as you go learning means mistakes. Yeah. Um, which is something, you know, we're working on with my daughter learning to read. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, learning through these things is really important. And a way that you can do this is by surrounding yourself with a community that's going to help elevate you. Learning from people's war stories and their, their horror stories on a topic helps you to make better decisions and learn from their mistakes. Um, And then the big thing I think too, especially with the learning as you go is like, yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable, but if you can surround yourself with a mentor or somebody that's out there, that's advocating for you and that success that you're not going to be taking missteps that lead you into debt. Um, And particularly for real estate, you also have lenders and underwriters and people that are going to be looking into your finances too. So oftentimes you can think you can afford something. And then if you're not like pre-approved or haven't been working with the lender on these things, it may not work out either. And those are people you're paying, so you can ask them tons of questions. And you should, because that's why you're paying them. That's a really good point. Like, I mean, don't tell Sarita I'm saying this, but make her earn her paycheck, right? Like, you need to ask your agent. You need to ask your lender. There's so many people who can help you along the way, but they won't if they don't know that you need help. Yeah, and I think the hard thing for me, because, you know, I've got clients that bought five years ago that to keep in touch and like, you know, when they need things, maybe ask me for advice or help. Um, and I'm not going to like pound everybody. Cause I'm sure that like not everybody wants their realtor checking in on them once a month. Like, Hey, how's that dishwasher going? <laughs> Housekeeping, literally. <laughs> um, you know, so I think that the, the important thing too is communicate the needs as well to whomever you're working with. Cause I think that's also just going to help you be successful with this, whatever you're trying to purchase. Um, um, and your money baggage and your financial goals. Yeah, yeah. So for Sarita, it's October fourth. Yes, October 4th. October fourth. Got a couple more months to go. For myself, what I'm taking away from my episode of therapy, I guess, right now. <laughs> um, 
I've got to break the the rat race wheel for myself. Um, while I've grown my business really successfully and doubled what I did last year, I think I've got to take a step back more on like the spending of things um, and continue to have like, the, all the resources that I have with you guys. And then focus too on like maybe as a team, you know, talking maybe weekly about the properties a little bit more. So there's advocation. Like last week when you were like, you need to just go see that, like things like that. I need, I need that support for my own community because, um, while I've got the means, I just don't have the time to. Right. Um, so there's that. And the other thing too is, is I have to keep telling myself that I am, while I do have the money to buy that money, like my buyer this weekend is going towards creating money. It's not going towards my car, which is just a monthly debt and, you know, all, all the other ways that I spend. This is going to go into possibly, you know, more wealth, more properties. Um, and not possibly. I know what I'm doing. I'm fucking good at my job. This is going to happen. <laughs> So I have to get rid of that mindset. So yeah. um, it starts at home. It starts here. <laughs> well, this is fun. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thank thanks you guys so listening. much for listening. Um, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Have a good one. Bye.